What could you do for God's kingdom if you had no fear? David Bile spreads the name of Jesus in Turkey. In that role, he's been forced to learn to choose faith over fear. And he says you and I can make the same choice. Live in complete obedience to Jesus. Do exactly what you sense him telling you to do, and especially if it's clear from Scripture, and irregardless of whether it's dangerous or awkward for you. Because if there's anything I've learned through my years of doing this outreach in Istanbul and in, throughout Turkey is that the God of the Bible so much wants to put his power to save on display to show to the world how great he is to save his people when they get in a mess for him. And we are so addicted to our comfort and ease and our nice, secure lifestyles that we never put ourselves in a place where we might actually need God to help us. This week on VOM Radio, we'll hear how David lived out that philosophy when he was placed in a jail cell with a group of ISIS fighters. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and once again this week we have the privilege of talking to someone who has seen the inside of a jail cell, and and we're going to get to that in a little bit. And the amazing thing about David Bile is, is he doesn't even mind that much seeing the inside of jail cells. He'll tell you why that is. David Bile is a gospel worker in the nation of Turkey. Uh, in fact, he is in, in the process right now of fighting against an order from the Turkish government that he be deported because of his gospel work. We're going to talk about that. David, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. It's good to be here. You do street evangelism in a Muslim country. <laughs> I know people who would say, that's impossible, you can't do that. How did you get started doing that? How did God call you to do that? And what have you seen as the results of, of being bold and open about sharing the gospel? Yeah, it's funny. I didn't really plan on doing this myself either. But what happened is uh, several years after we had arrived in Turkey and started doing ministry, they decided to revamp the whole penal code of the country. And this is a major project changing hundreds and hundreds of, of laws. And the, the prime minister at that time had been put in jail himself by the secularists for having read a religious poem at a political rally, which they thought was a veiled call to jihad, which it wasn't. But a, a Muslim religious poem. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so he was too Muslim. <laughs> exactly. And so the secularists didn't like that, and they put him in jail for six months. Wow. So when he got in power, he wanted to make sure that never happened again. So he created a law, which is in this penal code, this revamped penal code, which said that if you try to stop me from going and spreading my faith, you get put in jail for up to two years. Wow. Yeah. And so when I and, and some of my friends saw that, we're like, is this guy really serious? Now, his point in that was that the, so the secularists would not stop the Muslims from spreading their faith. What he didn't realize is that there might be some others who may want to benefit from the same laws. And so that's what we did. We, we thought, well, well, it's going to go out and see if they actually mean it. 
And uh, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with it then, obviously. And so we got a guy coming and train us how to do this, how to do street evangelism. And of course, when you live in a city as big as Istanbul, where there's, uh, you know, some say over 15 million people, and you have all these major hubs uh, in the city where it's like an anthill of pedestrians, it's a great place to, to do open-air evangelism. And that's exactly been our experience all these years, is that people in the Muslim world are very open to talk about spiritual things. Many of them are quite respectful, too, and you have very interesting conversations. So it's been an incredible ride ever since we started doing that now 12 years ago. Now, have you had some times where people were angry or you felt like, oh, yeah, we're in danger. We, we need to get out of here. Or? Yeah, but that's not necessarily at all a sign that you did something wrong, because <laughs> in the Bible, it says that we're the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing, among those being saved. And for some people, it's going to smell like death and you can't do anything about it. But your job, of course, is to be as loving as you can. But then, you know, like I tell people, yeah, there's been some opposition, but God has saved us so many times in such amazing ways. I feel like God's given me front row seats to miracle after miracle after just amazing demonstrations of his power to save. So, I mean, those verses in the Old Testament about Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Paul in the book of—I mean, these are—I I know this is true. We just add David Bile to the end of the list. So— so what does that look like? When you go out to do street evangelism in a Muslim country, in Turkey, what does it look like, or, or what do you do functionally? How do you do it? Well, you can basically do anything that's sort of interesting that'll make pedestrians curious enough to stop and listen long enough for you to tell them about Jesus. In my case, what I've done most of the time is I will set up an, a sketchboard. It's an old-fashioned way of doing evangelism. You, you use paint. And in this modern age where everything is digital, the fact that a guy's out in the street with, with paint on paper sort of attracts people right there. And then you use these, these things like block lettering and other things, which, again, arouses curiosity. What is this guy trying to explain? Then you a small crowd forms, and you just talk to them, and uh, it doesn't last long. I mean, presentation is just about eight minutes long. And, and uh, then all sorts of interesting conversations come out of that. We in America have this idea that religion is sort of off the table. We can never mm -hmm. talk about religion. Yeah. Somebody might get offended. Yeah. That's not the case no. in the Muslim world. Yeah, and I keep telling people when I, when I meet believers in America and in Europe, I say, <laughs> I feel sorry for you. Because in Istanbul, it's like it really is an evangelism paradise. People are open to talking about these things. They're not offended by—some are, few— People have more time to talk, are, are eager to share their views with you, and it's just uh, very exciting. So how often do you have Muslims who try to convert you? Oh, uh, regularly. Many of them will, if they're not trained in this stuff, they'll just do the basic, you need to do the statement of belief, you know, that there is no God but Allah and, and Muhammad is his messenger. And they, they don't even try to persuade you it's true. They just say, just pronounce it and you're in. Right. And so I'm like, sorry, I can't say something I don't happen to believe in. But uh, many of them are also very thoughtful, too. And many of them are very polite. That's the other thing. In, in favor of Turkey, it really is uh, an amazing society with a lot of wonderful people, very open-minded people. There's, there's people who really believe strongly in religious freedom. I had an incident, you'll like this, uh, preaching out in the street. When I finished, these guys wanted to argue with me. Muslims, before I could even answer them, this other guy who'd been listening the whole time, he pipes up and starts answering them. 
And when he he did such a good job, he basically silenced those guys and they left. And afterwards, I walked up to him and I said, wow, thank you, man, for what you did. Turns out he's an atheist lawyer. And he said, I don't agree with what you say, but I believe you have the right to say what you say. And I want to live in a country where people who are different than me have the right to say what they say, wow. what they want. And it was, and there are lots of people like him uh-huh. in Turkey. As, as I've talked with you before this, Turkey is one of my favorite countries in the whole world. I think everybody ought to go to Turkey. Mm-hmm. The seven churches of Revelation in Turkey, that's reason enough to go. Uh, but like you say, a welcoming, hospitable people. Yep. They love yep. guests. They will yep. make you feel welcome. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with David Bile. He is a gospel worker in Turkey. Uh, David, you're also involved in a ministry called the Bible Correspondence Course. Right. Tell us a little bit about what that is and how you minister in that context. Right. Well, there actually was a lot of uh, Christian ministry happening in the so-called Ottoman Empire in the 1800s all the way up to World War I. And then you had those very tragic events with the Armenians. And then you had the population exchange with Greece, where all the Greeks were basically forcibly moved to to Greece, and all the Turks living in Greece were forced to move back to Turkey. So the country, which at one time had a very large Christian population, was basically almost wiped out in just a few years. And so up until 1960, there was hardly anything going on, at least in terms of Christian ministry, until some uh, missionaries came in, in 1960, and one of the first things they they founded the ministry was the Bible Correspondence Course. And in their early days, it was all very clandestine and and trying to get the gospel out here and there as as they're able. But it wasn't until the 1980s when we tried putting ads openly offering New Testaments to people in uh, newspapers and magazines. And the first ones who took us, interestingly, were very radical leftist type groups. And uh, again, a lot of people were saying, "You can't do that." You know, this is a this is a Muslim country, but it happened. It was legal. Uh, yeah, and then after that, we got in the, the major national newspapers, and then the number of respondents just spiked. We we started seeing not just hundreds, but many thousands of people started contacting us, requesting New Testaments, and that was all throughout the '90s. And then in the 2000s is when the internet was really starting to pick up. We moved into internet advertising which again was another big spike because that was where people were moving more and more into digital, just like in, in the West. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we've been been doing. So people will see an ad, they'll request a New Testament, and then what happens? We're glad to get the Word of God out, and we, we are doing that a lot. But what we really like doing is helping churches and church planters around the country who want to start a church or want to see their church grow, but don't know how to find the people uh, who are interested in the city around them. And uh, maybe there, so, some of them are in a situation where they don't want to be very open about that. And so we serve them by finding those seekers uh, around them and putting them in touch with the church. And that's been sort of the most important service we've been doing, giving to the Turkish churches is helping them find these, these uh, seekers who have then gone on to uh, many have Many of the people who are in the Turkish church nowadays uh, came through means like the BCC. Okay, awesome. You've been in Turkey now for 15 years. When was the first time you got arrested? Well, or I've detained. been— yeah, Maybe I've, that's a better word. I've had police and security guards stop us 
out on the streets so many times I can't even count because <laughs> uh, we go out every week for 12 years. And many times nothing happens. And you just be respectful because, you know, these guys are just doing their job and uh, they don't want problems uh, just like we don't want problems. But it was uh, the first time was actually just a week after the Malatya martyrs uh, were killed. Uh, we were out in the streets and uh, some people complained about what we were doing. The police came, arrested us, and and I spent uh, two days in, in jail then. What did you think about that? Just that experience, because you've been there for years. Mm-hmm. You've ministered. Yeah. It's th- there's never been any yeah. jail involved, and yeah. now you're in jail. Yeah. How did that kind of change your mindset or change your heart? First time, it was such a shock. I didn't really know what to do, and it was very short, and it was very encouraging. I know for some of the Turkish believers who also were brought into the jail, though they were not held overnight, it was a watershed moment for them where they had up till that time very much been sort of under the radar and, and thought, you know, I can't just openly preach a gospel or something will happen to me. And then they, they did, and they got caught, and nothing happened. It was okay. <laughs> and so it was like, wow, God protected us. And that's what I'm loving to see is in the Turkish church where people are realizing that you can step out in faith, you can do things which are sort of risky, and, and you'll discover that the God of the Bible that you've believed in all along is very powerful and able to help you in that situation. David, the Turkish government has tried to deport you. Basically, they've said, we don't want you here anymore. When did that start, and and what was their reasoning, at least as they made it apparent in in the court documents? Yeah. Well, what happened the week after the Malatya martyrs, when we were first arrested, uh, they let me out two, two days later, but they said, uh, you can't keep doing this stuff. It's a crime, and if if you do these things, we'll we'll deport you. Meaning the street evangelists, yeah, the, the very things that open. I would have done, yeah, they they said that I was disturbing the peace and I was insulting other religions, and both of those became court cases, mini court cases. The one of the courts threw out the the one, and the state prosecutor threw out the other charge. He said these are baseless. There's, you haven't done these things. And I think that's very important because one of them, they, they sort of said, ah, you know, it's just a 50 lira fine. Just just pay it. No big deal. But I'm like, no, I, we didn't do this. And that proved very helpful later on because all the attempts they've made to try and say I'm doing all these bad things, they're, they're, I have not committed any crime. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we've done wrong, you know, living almost 18 years in Turkey. So that was what happened then after the Malati event. Then a f- couple years later, we were doing outreach again in another part of Istanbul. And a friend of mine had been stopped by the police and brought into the station and he called me and let me know. And at that time, I actually was somewhere else in this. I had sort of gone over and was talking to some people elsewhere. I didn't realize the police had come and taken him. So I didn't need to go there, but I did. I thought, well, it's good to be with my brother. So I went over to the police station and they, of course, then brought me in there and and asked me who I was. Then they said, can we get your written statement? And I'm like, well, why would you want to do that? I haven't done anything wrong. Oh, there's no problem. Just, just, okay. So I, I did. And what ended up happening is it never became a court case. They never pressed any charges, but it was recorded in their own inner system that I had done this stuff. So then when I, a few months later, when I applied to renew my residence permit, they thought, hey, this guy has said, we told him not to continue to doing this. Here he's doing it. And so they used that as a pretext to try and deport me again. Now, you have said, and as we've talked about the last time you were arrested, you felt kind of excited when the police showed up and were going to take you to jail. 
explain that attitude to me because I think most of us who are listening, we say, well, no, I don't want to go to jail. That would be the, that would be the worst thing that could happen. You said, praise the Lord, I'm going to jail. Why? Well, it's, has something to do with uh, forming habits. I mean, if you do a bad thing enough times, it just sort of comes to happen. You just do it without thinking. But when you see God do miracles again and again and again in these sort of situations, it becomes, yeah, habitual. I When the police showed up, like, wow, God's got something amazing in store for these upcoming <laughs> days. That was my first reaction. And sure enough, he did. Tell us what the amazing things well, were. Well, so they take me, this is last April, they took me to the local police station, put me in the cell down in the basement, and there was this, this guy down there, a Kurdish atheist, who I found out later had been living in the red light district of Istanbul for the last 15 years or so, doing every sort of filth and uh, crime imaginable, except killing. He, you know, he thought that was horrible, especially in the name of religion. And I'll call him Sam. He lied about who he was. And so for three days, the police had been trying to figure out who he really was and getting very frustrated in the process, by the way. They finally figured out who he was. And then, of course, his huge criminal record showed up, and he was off to 10-plus years in prison. Wow. And he learns this just a few minutes before I show up. And so, you know, like the Ethiopian eunuch where Philip just happened to show up as he's reading (laughs) Isaiah 53. I didn't have any problem convincing Sam that he was a sinner and that he needed (laughs) salvation. But, of course, I didn't know that. When I just first showed up, he sees me, he looks at me and says, who are you? Why are you here? Without thinking, it just came out. I said, I'm here because God sent me here for you. And, of course, now that I know what had happened to him before, it has all the more significance. But he said, well, I don't believe in a God I can't see. And I said, well, God is more than able to reveal himself to you. And I had my uh, Turkish New Testament with me, which they let me take with me, by the way. And I opened it up after talking with a while for him. And I showed it to him. He sort of just gruffly, huh, what is this? And he, he opens it up and the, uh, his eyes land on the verse, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. His first verse he reads is, did not Moses command that all those caught in adultery should be stoned? And, you know, he had just been telling me how horrible it is to kill in the name of religion. I thought, oh, boy, this is not a good verse to start with. (laughs) But uh, I just said, "Uh, just keep reading. Anyways, he reads on farther. He gets to the bit where Jesus said, he who has no sin, let him throw the first stone. Now, you remember, he himself is a serial adulterer and much worse. And he reads that. And I wish you could have been there in the cell to see his reaction. He just stopped. And he goes, I like this Jesus guy. And and it was just great. Now, he's not the reader type. I mean, this guy is not a bookworm. But now his interest is peaked. So he he starts reading. He stops talking to me. This other guy has been brought into this cell. He sits across from me. I start talking with him. Same thing. We start talking about Jesus. About 10 minutes later, I say to him, well, you know, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And right as I said that, Sam, who had been sitting next to me here, he stops and he says, yeah, what he said is true. I just read it right now. And the three of us, we looked at each other like, whoa, this is weird. I mean, what's the chances of him reading that verse at the moment, the very moment I say it? And we all sort of realized God is here. here. And Sam's atheism was starting to crumble. And it uh, really took a hit the next morning because we slept on the, in the cell together there. He was on the bench across from me. We wake up the next morning. He looks at me. He says, David, 
you won't believe it. I just had a dream, and in the dream, God said he sent you here for me. <laughs> so you ask, why do I like going to jail? There's your answer. Because, <laughs> because God sent you there. Yeah. The thing I'm wrestling with is how, for our listeners, we don't always see that. Why not? <laughs> is it because we're not living quite on the edge there, or is it because we don't have that expectation? Or what would you say to American Christians who say, I want to see God work in my life yeah. that way? Yeah. I don't necessarily want to go to jail, but how do I yeah. how do I get my eyes open to that? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> and I don't know because I, I would much rather be in Istanbul than I would be in America. I think it's a lot easier to do outreach there. But live in complete obedience to Jesus. Do exactly what you sense him telling you to do, and especially if it's clear from Scripture— and irregardless of whether it's dangerous or awkward for you, because if there's anything I've learned through my years of doing this outreach in Istanbul and in, throughout Turkey, is that the God of the Bible so much wants to put his power to save on display, to show to the world how great he is to save his people when they get in a mess for him. And we are so addicted to our comfort and ease and our nice, secure lifestyles that we never put ourselves in a place where we might actually need God to help us. So I'm not saying you should be foolish for foolishness sake, but but be ready to, to boldly proclaim the gospel in your life wherever God has put you. And if you do that, well, then you might see some right. interesting things happen. <laughs> so you go to the police station— you have this opportunity to share the gospel. Then they move you to a deportation center. Now, as as I understand it, this is basically you're waiting to be yeah. kicked out of the country. Right. right. It's just a matter of days. Right. What happened there? Well, it was not my first time there. So I knew <laughs> uh, the layout of the land, and they put me on the, the lower floor of these two floors where they have men. And it's a it's a big place. There's five big rooms with bunk beds in all of them. And there's no doors on any of these rooms. They all open into a corridor over here. Is the bathrooms, and it's it's basically all the peoples of the Muslim world, all the people we're trying to reach, are all locked together in this one big room. And I was put in the room with the Iranians and the Azeris and the Turkmen. Across the hall were the Afghans, and then you had the Pakistanis beside them. And in the far corner were the were the Africans and Palestinians and Syrians. But in the room right beside mine were the were the ISIS guys. And they had a curtain across their door, and you did not go in their room uh, uninvited. And all the other guys in there lived in fear of these guys. And there was probably 150 to 200 guys in that room when I was there, and only one of them was a believer. I found out later, this guy from Nigeria. Out of all five of the rooms oh, yeah, together. Right. Wow. Only one. Now, you're an American and you're a Christian. ISIS hates Americans and hates Christians. You're in this room with no doors between you and the ISIS guys. Yeah. Were you ever worried about this? A great question. Again, it goes back to the habit-forming thing. I've seen God protect me in so many situations before. I just sort of expect it. I don't want to be presumptuous because, you know, if he wants to call me home, that's okay too. But, you know, I, I tell people when Daniel was in the lion's den, the safest place in the whole city of Babylon was that den. Because you got angels there. I mean, what more could you want? I'm going to have to break in right there. We've been listening to David Bile, who is a gospel worker in Turkey. 
and you can hear the surprising sense of joy and peace that David has because he knows the Lord is always with him, even in a cell in a deportation center surrounded by ISIS fighters. He knows God's there. I believe that you and I can have that same sense of peace and boldness to do what God is calling us to do right here in the United States. When we hear David's story from Turkey, it encourages us to be bold in the Lord right where we are. You can hear many more stories like this by visiting our website and listening to all the other guests that we've had on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Just go to vomradio.net. Again, that website address is vomradio.net. While we left David in that deportation cell with the ISIS fighters, next week we'll hear what happened to him there and how God used even that situation for his glory. So I hope you'll be back to hear the rest of that story next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.